God is good. He's a friend forever. We're going to talk about friendship today. Uh, my name is Tim. If I haven't met you yet, uh, I'm the pastor here. So glad you've joined us to worship this morning. Uh, we are going to jump into this series. We're in week nine uh, of a series called What is Love? We're looking at love and relationships, taking an honest look at that uh, from Scripture and looking at our lives and, and really looking at the full gamut of relationships. If you've been with us, you, you know that. We've looked at marriage. We've looked at conflict, communication, sex. Money, singleness, and dating. And today, we're looking at uh, friendship. And we haven't just looked at it on Sundays. We gave you a study guide. Uh, some of you have been going through this. It's been really encouraging to hear uh, stories of you going through this on your own uh, during the week with your spouse or with a friend or with a roommate in your community group. And if you didn't pick one of these up, I know we're nine weeks in, we're almost to the finish line, but it's not too late. Uh, you can grab one. I think we have a few in the lobby, and it'll help you just kind of recap this series and make it not just a cute sermon series that we went through, uh, but something that actually affects your relationships and changes them and transforms them in the name of Jesus. That's our hope. So we're all looking at friendship today, and I think for all of us, no matter how friendly you are, or how many friends you have, you're extroverted or introverted, I think all of us has, have said some iteration of these three statements. You ready? Some of us have said in relationships and friendships, man, people are messy. Is that that one? Yeah, just me. Okay, just me. I've said that one. Uh, some of you have said in friendships, hey, having friends seemed easier when I was in college, right? Just seemed like it was easier in college. Now with like family life, kids, work, all that stuff, it's harder now. Some of you have said, this is my favorite one, I need to get a dog, <laughs> Right? Because they, like, they don't talk back, <laughs> and they love me all the time, and they come up and run and, and lick me when I get home and, and sit beside me and snuggle with me, and like, I just need to get a dog. Friendship is too hard. Here's the reality for all of us. Again, whether you have a lot of friends or you have a few friends, you know this, that all friendships have not one, but two people that are sinful. <gasps> Shocker. I know you thought you weren't the sinful one, and the other person, like the other friend, was the sinful one. You're both sinful. And so here's what happens in friendship. It is messy. There is conflict. There is gossip, right? There is bitterness at times. There's distance at times. There's awkwardness at times. Like when you try to build friendships, when you try to walk across the aisle, literally, after church today, some of you are going to get up the courage to walk across to somebody and say, hey, my name is, and it's going to be a little bit awkward, right? Why? Because there's sin in relationships, in friendships, and the reality is we often, and I was talking to somebody this week, um, we often don't preach on this subject of friendship. I've never preached on it. Uh, I, I haven't heard a lot of sermons on it, but the Bible talks about it, and we often never, with our Bible in the church, with other friends and, and believers in Jesus and in our relationships, we often never look at what does the Bible have to say about friendship? How can we intentionally work on our friendship? Because, because we're both sinful in a relationship and a friendship, it's not going to naturally just grow. It's not going to naturally just be great and flourishing and point us to Jesus. We have to work on it. So today, we're going to do some work on friendship, love and friendship. Uh, we are going to jump around in Scripture. If you want to do sword drills, you're welcome. Uh, flip back and forth. We're going to start in the Gospels. We're going to go back to Proverbs. Uh, I would encourage you, whether you look it up on your own now or not, write these verses down. You're going to want to go back to them later. Our first point, if you take notes... 
Love and friendship, it's why friendships matter. Why friendships matter. First, uh, friendships matter to God. Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, is asked, Jesus, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And what does he say? Mark 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the very next thing he says, verse 31, and love your neighbor as yourself. Think about this. The second greatest commandment in all of the Bible is love each other in relationship with each other. Friendships matter to God. Uh, But not only that, one of the primary ways that we love God is by loving people. John 13, 35, Jesus also says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what's always been interesting to me is, is not that Jesus didn't end that statement with like righteousness or knowing scripture. It, it, it kind of makes sense to me that he didn't say those things. Like, like you'll know uh, you're my disciples by righteousness or, or knowing scripture. Like, kind of get why he didn't say that. But it's always been confusing to me why Jesus didn't say, hey, people will know you are my disciples by the way you love God. I've always read that and thought, like, Jesus, why didn't you say that? Like, if I was taking a quiz, like, on being a disciple and what it means to be a Christian, and it said, hey, what's the defining characteristic of a Christian? I'd write on the quiz, love God, right? Seems pretty important. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should love God. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, people will know you are my disciples if you love God. What does he say? If you love each other. Why is that? Because the key way The primary way that we love God is by loving each other, right? And so friendship, relationship matters to God. And listen, it should matter to us. The book of Proverbs continually says that people will perish either because of of lack of friends or because of poorly chosen ones, right? Proverbs 13.20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, It's been said, you probably heard this, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? The friends, they shape you. They influence you, right? I've seen this just even in little ways. I grew up in Texas. And uh, whenever I go back to Texas, typically in the summer, my family, we go back for about two weeks. And specifically when I'm there for an extended period of time, like two weeks, I'm around family. I'm around friends, people in Texas that I grew up with. And I don't know if you can tell, like some people say, like they kind of hear an accent when I preach certain words, it comes out, right? Uh, But you can definitely tell when I go back home to Texas, right? Specifically, like we're nearing the end of week two, and like weird things just start to roll out of my mouth. Like weird things like, um, hey, what y'all fixing to do? (laughs) And and, like I'll kind of stand like this and my belt buckle shows a little bit. (laughs) And I'm like, why did I say that and why did I do that? Like, I don't ever say that and I don't ever show my belt buckle. <laughs> like, I end fixing with a G normally, but in Texas I don't. Right, why? Because I'm around some friends and some family for a while and they begin to shape me, influence me. Listen, I wish it was just little things like that, but it's, but it's often way bigger things that if you look in the Old Testament, you look at the life of Job, what happens with Job? Everything gets taken away from him, right? If you read the story, his wealth, his possessions, also his kids get taken away from him. And Job has some friends 
and you read about them, and they come along, and instead of bringing hope in the midst of his dire situation, they bring more hurt, right? In the form of accusation. Job, you must have done something wrong to deserve this, right? In the form of of self-righteousness. Like, clearly, we have done nothing wrong. That's why things are going well in our lives. But you lost your kids, man. You lost everything you have. Your possessions, they're all gone from you. So you must be in some sin. I mean, we're not because we're okay. But what's wrong with you? And uh, Job experiences what Proverbs says. He suffers harm because his friends are fools, right? So friends affect you. They shape you. They shape your future, right? And so friendships matter to God. They should matter to us, right? We see that all across the Bible. Uh, And the reality is we need real friends. We need true friends. Uh, Some of you, if I were to ask you, like, how many friends you have, uh, you would look on Facebook. Well, 1,000, 500, 5,000. I got to make a fan page because I got so many friends, right? And some of us, we need to really assess, like, how many true friends do I have? We definitely don't want fools as friends. We want some some true friends, a few people that we can live life with. And that's what Proverbs 18.24 says. It says, a man of many companions, another translation says, unreliable friends may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. brother." Proverbs 18 is telling us, if you just have acquaintances, if you just have a lot of companions, if you just kind of know a lot of people from a distance, that you may come to ruin. I, I've seen this in my life. Uh, I, not long ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, uh, and he was telling me about a guy in his church, an older guy, who had just come to him and said, hey, uh, my wife just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she maybe has a year to live. And my pastor friend's telling me about this guy and this conversation, and he was like, you know, I kind of, I'd seen this guy around. Like, I knew he came to our church, but that was about it. And so we're talking and we're, we're diving into this and talking through this issue and his life. And, just, and my pastor friend said to this guy, he said, well, hey, at least, you know, you're a believer in Jesus. You're a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. And, and, and at least, this is a horrible situation, but at least you have other people to walk with you through this, to pray with you through this to bring meals, to, to be uh, accountable in this situation, to, to provide empathy and honesty and love in this situation. And he's talking to the guy and saying all these things. And the guy looked down, and sadly he said, no, I really don't have that. He said, yeah, I've been, I, actually, I've been coming to the church for about 10 years. Uh, but if I'm honest, I come, I sit down, I stand up, I even take notes during your sermon. I even said Amen. Like, I get some things from you, and and I've enjoyed being a part of this church. But if I'm honest, I never spent the time or the effort to invest in relationship. And if I came on Sunday, like, I could say hi to some people. They would know who I am. But if I look around, my wife has Alzheimer's, a year to live. I don't have people praying for me. And I don't have people I can go to on a hard day and just share, I'm I'm tired. I don't know what to do in this situation, and I don't have that. And my pastor and friend just encouraged them, you need to get that now. It's not too late. You need to get that now. You need to invest. You need to cultivate. You need to step out and say, and be vulnerable. Hey, I need some people around me. It's not, it's not good for man to be alone, and I need some people, and you need to start now. 
We just talked about like how sad that is that he has to start now that he didn't start 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and develop friendship, true relationship, not just companions or acquaintances, people you walk into church and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing? God is good all the time. <laughs> and then you leave and go eat lunch and watch football, and they don't know anything about your life, right? And they don't know the hidden sin that you've been struggling with that nobody knows, you need some actual relationships. Listen, as your pastor, I hope you come to church on Sundays. <laughs> I hope you listen to the sermon and take notes. I hope you say amen. You can do that, right? I hope you do all those things. But we pray a lot as elders, as pastors of this church, as leaders of this church, that we do not, and you've probably heard this before, we do not want a conference that meets 52 times a year called church. I'm not interested in that. Here's what we're interested in. Here's what we pray for for you is that you would not just come to a conference. You would be connected with other believers in Jesus, some of whom who are the same age as you, some of whom who you share affinities with, some of whom, who, like both of you, like, I have a big dog. You have a big dog. Let's go walk our big dogs together. You like that show, Stranger Things? Let's go binge watch it together. Like some of whom you have shared affinity, but some people who aren't like you at all, who are a different age bracket than you, who are a different season of life than you. Like you're married and I'm single. Yeah, let's hang out. Some people in your life who you can do life together with, and even in the most difficult times, the most dark seasons, they're there. And specifically, if they're different than you, they can offer perspective because there's power in perspective. And they can pray for you in their season of life, for where you are in your season of life. And they can say, hey, I've been there. I'm going to be with you through this. I'm going to help you through this. And that you would have foxhole friends as people who are part of the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. Don't just come to a conference 52 times a year. And then when life gets hard and life gets difficult, and listen to me, it will Maybe not your wife get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but difficulty is coming for you, and you're going to need people to lock arms with. Do you have those people, or do you just have acquaintances? Do you just have companions? Proverbs 18, 24 says, you may come to ruin if that's the case. The reality is, life is hard, but it's harder without friendship. The opposite is also true. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It gets really practical. Two people can get more work together done together than apart. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. True friends bring comfort, encouragement when you are down. True friends, that's what they do. They help you endure even if you fall. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times. I love how the message version says it. It says, friends love through all kinds of weather. Right? See, a friend loves at all times. That all times doesn't necessarily mean like all day, every day, 24 hours a day. Like sitting beside their bed, watching them sleep like in the notebook right? That's creepy. That's not a friend, right? It, it literally all times means all kinds of time, 
all kinds of seasons in life. The good seasons in life, when everything's going well, you got the promotion at work, your kids are, are obeying, you got the good grades in, in class, everything's going, we're going to watch movies, we're having fun together. Like in the good times, the friend loves you. But in the bad times, you lost your job. In the bad times, when other relationships in your life aren't going so well, and they have to step out in courage and defend you, partner with you, even when you're not the most popular person in the room. Even in the ordinary times, a good friend doesn't say, you yeah, know, I'm kind of bored. And you're looking like, okay, thanks. A good friend doesn't do that. A, friend, a good friend loves at all times, good seasons, bad seasons, on your best day and doesn't bail on your worst day. That's the power of friendship. They can affect your life. They can harm your life if they're fools, if you don't have real friends, if you just have companions. But they can also uplift your life. They can sustain your life. They can point you to Jesus. That's the power of friendship. Friendship matters to God. It should matter to us. And so my question for you this morning is, does it? In the midst of your job, in the midst of working out, in the midst of Building up your 401k in the midst of your wardrobe and making sure that's tight and nice. In the midst of keeping up with Kanye. <laughs> scrolling through social media, building your platform. Do you value friendship? How much time do you think about friendship? How much time do you think about, hey, if I'm going to love God, that's evaluated by how I love my friends. How do you view friendship? Do you see it as that significant in your life? Or does it need some work? Does it need to move up the priority list in your life? Okay. Our second point, what gets in the way of friendship? Proverbs 18.1 says this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, as I thought about this point, I thought, hey, there's lots of things that get in the way of friendship. But as I studied this week and looked at our culture, 2019 in America and Phoenix, I think one of the biggest things that gets in the way of friendship is isolation. Right? Lots of things go with isolation, but I think as, as Proverbs 18.1 says, hey, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment that we live in a culture of isolation. Now, some of that isolation we can't help, like living in a transient culture, like Phoenix. Fifth largest city in the, in the country, uh, particularly in an urban context like where we are now, central Phoenix and the city, we live in a transient culture, right? People come and go, right? People uh, want to buy a house in the suburbs because they can get more square footage, so they go to Gilbert, right? And it's hard to stay in the city. I think we, we feel this more than most. They're, we live in a transient culture. I know my wife and I, we've had amazing friends who moved away. Right? And so some of isolation, some of you feel isolated today because you're like, hey, I've had true friendships, but they're not around anymore. Right? And so some of that's, we, we can't do anything about that. right? But there's some other things that cause us to be isolated, things like fear. The most repeated command in all of the Bible is what? Do not fear, right? Why? Because we're afraid, right? Particularly in a relationship, we are afraid, right? And we isolate because of that. And we're afraid, like, if, hey, if I, after church, if I do go walk up to you and say, hey, my name's this, uh, 
how are you doing? Uh, you'll be like, don't you have any other friends? <laughs> I mean, what? Like, oh, you need a friend? Okay. Come on, somebody. You know you felt that before, and that's why you didn't walk across the aisle. Why? Because of fear. You isolated and said, I'm going to go eat lunch instead of that, right? Some of you, out of fear, you, you have some friends, you have some companions, and you think about sometimes, like, maybe after a convicting sermon or after reading scripture, like, I should share my life with them. I should confess my sin to them. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. And you think, you think for a moment, like, maybe I should do that. But then you think, yeah, but what if they don't receive me? What if they reject me? And what if they look at me and are like, well, man, obviously you got some issues. Like, who can I call? Because I can't handle your stuff. I need reinforcements. And in fear of, of that, you isolate yourself. Right? And so all of us isolate for different reasons. One of them is fear. One of them is pace of life. All right, we, we are going so hard. We're in 50, 60 hours a week. We got so many things going on. We're trying to juggle all these things. And we are. We're scrolling through our phone. We got to take time for that. Like, we're, how many of you, you said, amen, come on. How many of you said, like, hey, I'm really busy as you've scrolled through your phone? <laughs> Somebody texted you and you're like, I ain't got time to text them back. Hold on, Facebook. <laughs> like, some of us just our pace of life. We're too hurried and we, we isolate because of that. Some of us, and I think one of the biggest reasons why we're isolated is we don't even realize we're isolated. In a technological age like we're in, with devices and iPads and phones and TVs around every corner, we're actually isolated, but we don't realize it. Why? Because we've never actually experienced true friendship, true relationship. We've just experienced friends on Facebook, right? We've just experienced what would have been 20 years ago considered stalking, <laughs> right? We're just like, all we know is like, oh, like, what's, oh, what'd you eat for dinner? Sushi roll? Awesome. And then you see, like, oh, who'd you eat with? And you see the person tagged, and then you click on them, and you're like, who is this person? I don't know your friend. How come you never talked about, how come you don't take me to eat sushi with you? How come you took them? Who is this person? Who's this girl? And you just start looking up their pictures. And then, like, two hours later, come on, somebody. Two hours later, you're like, wow, I'm so busy, like, and I just... And I'm, I, I feel connected, but I also feel lonely. Listen, the paradox of 2019 in the digital age is we are more connected than ever before, but we're, we're lonelier than ever before, right? And so I think for a lot of different reasons, fear, pace of life, thinking we're connected but not actually be connected, we isolate ourselves. And we may, we may have conversation with lots of people throughout a day, but none of them are in the same room with us, right? We may know what a lot of people are doing, but it's, it's nobody who's close to us now, but it's that college friend on Facebook that we haven't talked to in 20 years. We know what they ate for dinner. We know how their kids are doing. We know what they wore for Halloween. But you show up to church on a Sunday and you're like, not having any conversation with real live people with a pulse. So a lot of us are isolated, and we don't even realize it, right? And so 
we got to talk about what do we do, right? Some of us are thinking like, well, Tim, do we just shut down all devices? Do we just move to Queen Creek and live on a farm? What do we do, right? Like technology is a part of life. Like how do we not isolate? And listen, I believe technology is not the problem. This is a people problem. Technology is exposing what's already in our hearts. Technology, social media, it just gives us permission. It gives us an easy way out to keep people at a distance. That's what your heart already wants to do, right? You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to share that hidden sin because you think, if I share this with a real-life person, then that sin will be exposed, and then I will be exposed, and people will know I'm a fraud. So social media... Fear to stay away from the awkwardness, that's just easier. So it's not just a technological problem. Sure, you do need to, to put guardrails on your devices. You do need times at the dinner table. You put all electronics away. You do need times without media. You do need times where you ask questions and listen with your full face. Like, we need all that, but I think there's, there's bigger things. There's bigger reasons, and there's things we need to work on to build lasting friendships. So I'm going to give you a couple. That's our third point. How do we build lasting friendships in the midst of this digital age, in the midst of fear, isolation, all of that? How do we do it? The last point. I'm going to give you two things. Empathy and honesty. First, empathy. Proverbs 25.20 says this. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. Now, when I first read that, I was confused. Anybody confused? Like, you read that and you're like, no, wait, shouldn't, is that a typo in scripture? (laughs) Shouldn't it be like, hey, one who sings songs to a troubled heart, that should be like putting on a garment, in cold weather, right? You come along, somebody's hurt, and you sing a song, you cheer them up, and that should be like, hey, it's like putting on a warm jacket, putting on a, a blanket. But here's the reality. If you look deeper into this, this is talking about someone who is emotionally disconnected. Right? Someone is troubled. Their heart is troubled. They've experienced loss. They're having a hard time in their relationships, at their job, in sin, whatever the case may be, their heart is troubled. And someone comes along and they don't acknowledge their trouble. They don't try to understand the pain. Hey, tell me more about that. This proverb is saying they just walk up. They don't do any of that. They just walk up and they turn up positive, encouraging Caleb. And they pat you on the back. And they say, hey, put a smile on it. I know you experienced that loss. I know you're having a hard day. I know this person said that about you, but cheer up. God is good. Cheer up. Put a smile on it. Sing a song to a troubled heart. Now, is that a true friend? No. That's an emotionally disconnected friend. A true friend says, hey, man, how are you doing? I mean, I know that's been a lot. I know the kid's not sleeping at night. Tell me more about, like, how can I help you? And it doesn't sit in the pain forever. It doesn't mope Eeyore with them. But it does acknowledge the pain. That's called empathy. That's Romans 12, 15. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. When you mourn with somebody who's mourning, it's like putting 
a jacket on them on a cold day. And when you just come along and you sing a song, you just pat them on the back and say, cheer up, God is good, that's like taking the jacket off. Right, scripture calls us, we mourn with those who mourn. We empathize with people. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, by the way, C.S. Lewis wrote Four Loves, uh, a book that talks a lot about friendship. I had like five quotes from him. I'm just going to give you this one. But there's lots more where this came from, so go read C.S. Lewis on friendship. Uh, C.S. Lewis summed it up this way. He said, friendship is actually born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's empathy, right? That, that true friendship has empathy. That you say to another person, like, oh, you have that too? And it's not just pain. Sometimes it's joy that you share in. Like somebody else wins in their job and their family and their faith. And you're not jealous because of that. You're overjoyed because of that. You empathize. You rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? It's the opposite of what many of us do on social media. Here's how it works. On social media, we don't empathize with people's joys. No, we're jealous. We see somebody went on that vacation, and they're in Cabo, and we look at that picture, and we mumble to ourselves like, mm, that must be nice. Like, how'd they afford that on his salary? Right? You said this. You've thought this. It's what you do when you see somebody else's kids, and they got the picture on, on Instagram of their straight A's. And you think, well, like, what kind of tutor did they get for that? Because I know they didn't come up with that on their own, right? Or maybe you, you have little kids, and you see, and all of you have seen this, the picture of the kid in the bath with a little duck, rubber duck, and they're smiling, and it's just complete white background. There's no mess. <laughs> There's just bubbles, smile, and a rubber duck. <laughs> and it looks like a professional photo shoot, and they're just like, and you just start thinking, like, my kid won't even take a bath. <laughs> like, and when they do, like, it's this huge disaster, and there's towels all over the place, and there's, there's toys all over the place. It's this huge chaos moment. And, and we don't empathize with people, even in their joys. We're, we're jealous. We don't get overjoyed with them. Right? We don't share in, in people's shame. I remember friends early on uh, when I started doing ministry, uh, ministry's hard, and sometimes you don't always have people. You're helping people who struggle, but you don't always have people uh, to help you struggle. And I remember early on in ministry, I had these two friends who were just a gift from God. And a lot of things were going on in life, lots of hardships. And I remember grabbing these two friends, and we started to meet weekly, and we would talk to one another and say, wait, you too? And we would pray with one another. We'd empathize with one another, even in shameful things, even in patterns of sin. I remember one night uh, just going to these guys and just dumping on them and unloading on them. Sin in my life, hardship in my life. And you know what didn't happen in that moment? They didn't look at me and say, wow, you are really sick. <laughs> you need some help. You know what happened in that moment? They said, hey, you know what? Me too. And they started to share their junk and their sin and their shame. And we didn't just sit in that. No, we, we confessed our sin to each other. We pointed each other to Jesus. We repented together. But it all started with empathy and shame, that empathy dissolves shame. That's why James 5.16 says, you confess your sins to each other. 
you get healing. Why not just to God? I get forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. You confess your sins to God. He's just and faithful to forgive. Why not just that? Because you need some empathy. You need some other people to actually experience healing. That's the power of empathy and friendship. That's what true friendship is built on. But it's not empathy, and I know some of you are thinking this, empathy and friendship is not just getting coffee and talking about your feelings, right? It's not just that. That you share not just joy, not just shame, but you share truth. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.27, he says this, that striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That true empathy doesn't just share in joy, it doesn't just share in shame, it shares in truth about Jesus. It says, hey, I want to follow Jesus. Oh, you do too? Let's go together. Hey, this is going to be hard. Let's confess sin together. It's going to be messy. Marriage is going to be messy. Life's going to be messy. But I got you. Let's follow Jesus together. We're heading somewhere. Friendships are designed as we share and empathy one another to go somewhere. They're partnering together in truth. So friendships are built on empathy. Friendships are built on honesty. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. I don't know if you've ever seen iron sharpening iron, but it's a violent process, right? We often, we put this verse on a coffee mug, uh, and we don't really think about what it means, but iron sharpening iron is iron clanging against the other piece of iron. There's sparks, Right? It's a violent process. It's an honest process. It's a candid process, but it's a loving process. Right? Ephesians 4.15, you speak the truth in love. I would one-up that and say speaking the truth is love. Right? Uh, you look at me as a parent with kids after Halloween. Right? Is it loving to bend down, my kids got all this candy, to bend down to my kids and say, hey, you little snowflake, you just eat all the candy your heart desires, right? I mean, I don't care about your teeth. I don't, your, your teeth will be fine. Right? Flossing, meh, don't worry about that. You just keep sneaking candy for breakfast. Just keep that up. Like your teeth, your blood sugar, you'll be fine. Is that loving? That's one of the most hurtful things I can do to my kid and their teeth, right? And their blood sugar. That's not loving. What's loving? Hey, guys, and this is what we do, pro tip for parents, pick 10 pieces of candy, and we're donating or throwing away or mailing the rest, right? You get 10 because I love you enough. I care about your teeth. I care about your blood sugar. I'm going to speak the truth to you. I'm going to be honest with you. And here's what many of us do. We're never honest with our friends, and it's not out of love for them, it's out of love for us, right? You ever been there? Your friend, you see a pattern of sin in their life, lust, pornography. You see an addiction that's repetitive. You see gossip. You see the people they're running with, and they just, every time they get together, they don't talk about how they need to grow. They always got a window out to the world and how everybody else needs to grow, and they gossip. And you see a friend going down that road, and you think, I should probably say something, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to offend them. And you're not thinking really about them. What are you thinking about? Me. You're thinking, I don't want them to think ill of me if I say this. I don't know what they would think about me. I don't want to get, that could be awkward. 
And so we refrain from honesty, not we tell ourselves it's out of love for the other person, it's out of love for ourselves. And true friendship, listen, is built on empathy and honesty. That produces longevity and friendship. You need both. You need an empathetic friend that says, hey, I'm here with you, but also says, hey, let's, let's keep going together. Here's how we do that. Here is this sin in your life. It's not pretty. It's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your life. This gossip, it's going to tear you down. You are going to, just like that Texas accent, you're going to start doing the same thing because a wise person walks with wise people, a fool Fool person, a foolish person walks with fools, and they suffer harm because of that. Like, I'm going to come alongside you in empathy and honesty for the purpose of longevity and friendship. You need all of that to build friendship. I think of an example in the Old Testament, David and Jonathan, this great picture of friendship. First Samuel 23, you see this moment where David is on the run in the woods from Saul. And you see Jonathan, it says he goes to David. He empathizes. He goes to the woods. He doesn't send a telegram. He doesn't send a note. He doesn't send somebody else. He goes himself to where David is. He empathizes. He goes to a situation in the woods, on the run from Saul. He empathizes. But he also speaks truth. He says, do not fear. And it says in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Because that's what true friendship does. So, we want to be, we want to build this kind of friendship. We don't just want to look for friends who are empathetic and honest. Like some of you are thinking right now, like, are my friends empathetic and honest? Do they do this to me? You need to think about that a little bit. We're going to talk about that in a second. But you need to think about, am I an empathetic and an honest friend? You want to be this type of friend. Right? And so how do we do it? I'm just going to give you three quick things as we close. One, start cultivating friendship. Wherever you are, maybe you think, well, Tim, it is too late. I don't really, I have a lot of acquaintances. I don't have true friendship. Start today. Cross the aisle after church and just tell somebody your name. Ask them how they are doing. Go to a friend you already have. Get beyond the surface questions of fantasy football and the weather and ask them about their relationships, their kids, their friends, their school, their job. Ask some questions. Just, just try this. I know it's 2019 in America and social media is a real thing. Try asking questions and not just giving your opinion, right? Try listening. You ask the question and just stop and listen, right? Start cultivating friendship with other people, Second thing, reevaluate some of your friendships. Some of you are walking with fools. And listen, I'm not saying, hey, relationships get messy, they're difficult, ditch your friends, because they will get messy. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying some of you are walking with people who are repetitively making foolish decisions. And if you look at them and you're honest and you honestly assess where they are and how they're affecting you, and you ask the question, hey, are they pointing me toward Christ or away? and maybe you were to say, hey, I think most of the time it's a way, then you might need to, you don't have to ditch them, you can love them, but you don't need to count on them as your true friends. Some of you need to reevaluate your friendships. Are they pointing you to Jesus? All of us need to look to the perfect friend. Some of you are thinking, hey, friendship is hard. Relationships are messy, like I do want a dog. And, and that's, Reality. Friendships are messy. 
Both parties are sinful, sinful, it's going to get messy. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't know if I can find friends who are empathetic and honest, who stick closer than a brother. I, I've tried, I don't know if there's people out there. I, be that kind of friend, I don't know if I have the capacity to be that for someone else. And you think friendship is hard. We all today need to look to the perfect friend. You see, here's the reality. We're in church, we're looking at the Bible, we are Christians. This isn't just a practical self-help sermon on how to be a better friend. That would be hopeless if it was, right? We have a Jesus who is the perfect friend that we can look to. John 15, three says this. Jesus said this. Greater love has no one than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends that all of these scriptures we just read, just think through them, hopefully you wrote them down and can go back and look later. Who's the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Jesus. Who's the friend that empathizes perfectly, rejoices with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn? Who's that friend? Jesus. Jesus empathized with you. He didn't stay off from afar and say, hey, good luck with that, I'm praying for you. No, he he left his throne in glory. He came down. Philippians 2 says, he took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He came down to show you, hey, I, I know what this is like. It's empathy. Jesus did that. But he doesn't just say, hey, I know what this is like. It's gonna be okay. No, he confronts your sin. He's honest, perfectly. He confronts you with truth. He brings empathy, but he also brings truth. He's vulnerable with you. He's the perfect friend in vulnerability. Think about this. On the cross, Jesus is laid before almost naked, right? He's taken on the whole brokenness of the world, and he's up high on a cross where everybody can see that. You can't get more vulnerable than that. Jesus is the perfect friend. So as Christ followers, we look to Jesus as the perfect friend. And yes, it's hard. And yes, friendship is going to be messy. But when we look to Jesus as the perfect friend, we get the power. We get the freedom. We are liberated to be a friend like Jesus to other people. Amen? You're not in this on your own. This is not a sermon that just says, hey, go be a better friend. Work on that. Tell me how it goes. That would be horrible. That would be defeating. We have a perfect friend in Jesus. As we experience his friendship to us, we are liberated to be friends like him to others. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of love God, love neighbor. That's how God set it up. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for these men and women. I thank you that some of these men and women in here have friendships that are built on you, that are empathetic, that are honest, that, that, that actually go through good times in life and bad times in life together, that are foxhole friends, that are on mission with you, that are sharing in joy, that are sharing in shame, that are sharing in truth, that love each other enough to speak the truth, to even confront sin, to even give a rebuke, I thank you that we have some friendships like that in this room. And God, I pray for more of that. And I pray for those in here that if they were to honestly look at their life, they have some acquaintances, but they don't have friends. 
God, for some of the people that walked in this room, they do treat it like a conference. Every Sunday, they come in, they take some notes, they say amen, and then they leave. God, I pray for them. I pray for us who, who are tempted to do that, that you would give us the courage to step across the aisle and cultivate friendship, to love each other because that's how we show we love you. And God, that we would lean on you as the perfect friend as we do that. We would be liberated. God, you love us. You speak truth to us. You liberate us to do that with other people, to experience true friendship the way you designed it. So we need your help on that. And we pray for it now in the name of Jesus.